Welcome to DevMode FM, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Marian Nulevant here in Portland, Oregon. I'm Michael Rogg coming at you from Houston, Texas. Jonathan Melville in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining us today is Mark Hewitt. Mark, welcome aboard. Hi, thanks, everyone. And we are going to be discussing GraphQL, and then more specifically, uh, Mark's plugin called uh, CraftQL, which is used for uh, making that available to Craft CMS3. So let's start talking about it. I think uh, a lot of people that are tuning in have probably heard of CraftQL. I'm sorry, GraphQL. Hopefully, they've heard of CraftQL too. Um, and, you know, maybe they've kind of seen people talking about it and been like, oh, you know, that kind of sounds cool, um, but may or may not have done anything with it. So if you were at, uh, you know, a, a dinner party and someone miraculously came up to you and said, hey, Mark, what, what the heck is GraphQL? What would you tell them? Um, so first off, that sounds like a good dinner party. That's absolutely <laughs> something I would go to. Um, but what is GraphQL? I would say um, there's so many like benefits to GraphQL, and there's so many changes from something like a traditional REST endpoint to it. But I personally, I would say the thing that GraphQL is is it allows you to make documented requests to an endpoint and get back an expected return. I guess it get it get back a documented return. So GraphQL is a way to talk to an external data source, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. uh, an, an example that um, I think is used a lot is there's a, a database called Goodreads, which is a database of uh, books, right? So let's say that you had a website and you wanted to uh, be able to search through the, the Goodreads data. You might use an API in the past, you might have used an API like REST, um, where you can query some external data source and get a result back. Uh, I know REST can do more than that as well, um, but just in our example. And then in an analogous way, you can use uh, GraphQL to then go out over the wire and grab data from somewhere and bring it back into your web page. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah I'd say definitely. So why should I care about GraphQL? There's already this awesome thing uh, called REST. It defines a, an API. I can use that to, to talk to other things. What, why would I care about GraphQL? So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I think REST can do everything you need it to do. You know, REST powers so many APIs. It powers so many websites out there. It powers millions of applications out there. Um, so I don't know that GraphQL can kind of inherently do anything that REST can't do. It's just a different way to do those things. Um, and I think what, what GraphQL adds that REST has, but no one uses, or REST has, but no one documents, or REST has, but it's confusing, is GraphQL has that type system. It has that documented type system that... What does that mean? 
So what that means is that when you write a query to a GraphQL endpoint, you're going to say, I want a book and I want it by this author. And you know that you have to type in the author's ID, or you know that you have to type in the author's name, or you know that you have to type in a relationship that shows the author by name and first name and last name. So it, you know when you're typing something into GraphQL that this is exactly what you have to type in because the query won't validate mm. and it won't actually send. Right. If you're using a system like GraphQL, you can't actually send it without having a valid query go across the wire. Yeah, um, and I think that's a, that's a Sorry, whereas with a lot of REST APIs, I mean, again, you're saying that you can do it, but no one does. In my experience, I've never run into anyone doing it. Usually you, you send the, the query out, um, and if there's something wrong, it'll return some kind of an error code, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you can get into these ide ideological arguments over it. Like REST does it. And like if you have a REST API that you can add and remove fields in your return from, and you have a REST API that you can... Um, you can validate before it sends. You have a REST API that you can control. You can do all of these things through REST, but with GraphQL, it's documented, and there's one way to do it and only one way to do it. And I think that's a powerful thing hmm. um, that, yeah, that I, REST doesn't have. I, I think that's a really crucial subtlety because um, looking at like GraphQL, um, it, graph is part one, <laughs> and query language is part two, and that I think is the definition of where GraphQL provides value over just your standard REST. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the graph bit means that within this system, uh, the system has uh, some knowledge of the schema relationships between different uh, types of things that are represented. And the query language part um, means that there is this you know, standard, well-documented way uh, that you can send different, uh, send and receive different types of uh, of data and make different queries, right? Because if you go back to REST, REST literally stands for representational state transfer. And it's you have some resources and some different verbs that you can do to them. And anytime that you do some verb to some resource, you are dealing with the entire resource. And, and from the outside, um, you know, you are fully relying on the implementation for each client and for each uh, endpoint, you know, to sort of uh, define what things are, and so um, so you can't deal with only part of a resource, and you can't deal with more than one resource, and there's really no way to like run an intelligent-looking uh, query against a resource like you would, you know, with a database. And so then along comes GraphQL and says, "All right, well, we're still, you know, working with some remote data source. We're still doing it over HTTP, but." Now we've added, you know, some knowledge uh, that items have about each other and that the system has about types of items. And now we've added a query language. So you can work with pieces of resources or you can work with multiple resources and you can query them in lots of different ways instead of just give me this resource or put this resource here. Yeah. And I, first of all, one of my big problems with REST and it, it has to do with anything. I hate it when people come up with acronyms. And one of the letters in there, they just, you know, they just are like, oh, it's the first two letters of representational. There's no E in REST, okay? It should be the R RST framework. It's a it's a terrible lack of creativity. They come up, could have come up with some gratuitous E in the middle that would have made it work out for me, and it would have been fine, you know? Yes, but but RST already stood for other things. <laughs> Whatever. So they, they, could, they, they couldn't do it. 
Well, they, that's what I'm saying. They could have come up with just, you know, some E word to put in the middle, like represent representational enterprise state transfer. I mean, something like, please, people like a little bit of effort. Um, entity. Entity would have been fine. Or entity. Yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, if uh, Mark, I'm going to kind of answer my own question that I asked you earlier. If uh, someone comes up to you at a cocktail party and says, what is GraphQL? Um my kind of answer would be it's uh, kind of like an unholy union between JSON and SQL, right? Because it, does that sound reasonable? Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, and it's weird because the query language looks so much like JSON, but it's not. But right. it, it, you want it to be JSON. Um, so yeah, I, th I think that's a really good. So why why isn't it JSON? Uh, because of the type system, because JSON doesn't have types. So right. you can't represent a query in JSON because it doesn't have types. So you get like this JSON response back and you know that you're going to get a string here. You know that you're going to get an, an author here. And the actual response isn't typed. Only the input is the actual typed uh, language or type data. Right. So it just does the type checking on the input. Right. Yeah. And you're... you're, you're you're sure that the response is going to come back the type you expect, but because JSON doesn't have types, it's not actually that way. But you right. you know that it's going to be right. Yeah. Now the, the way that the way that they hawk the way that GraphQL hawks itself, by the way, is a query language for your API. Right. And that's probably how I would answer the question at the cocktail party. What is GraphQL? Well, it's a standard packagized query language. Right. Because if API. if we're all used to MySQL on some level or, or another, where you can query, um, you know, a particular table for, and you can ask for just particular columns from that table in a similar way, um, which rest to my knowledge doesn't, or maybe can, if you kind of add additional, uh, segments onto it, but you using GraphQL can say, I, I just want these pieces. Like I know that the book is this huge data blob, but all I really care about is the author. Just give me the author back. That's all I want back. Um, and in a similar way, if you're using Craft CMS, Craft 3, um, using the uh, element queries, you can say, you know, give me this entry, but I only care about this field, right? And that's kind of what um, GraphQL is letting you do, right? It's, it's saying, you know, this is all the data. I, I know there's tons of data out there, but I only care about this, and that's what makes it lightweight, right, Mark? Yeah, absolutely, and I that's... You know, that's the argument that you'll see in all like the hacker news threads about GraphQL is that we can do this in REST. You just have to add this query parameter right. to your REST endpoint and it will only return these three fields. Right. And yeah, you can add this query parameter to that API and do it, or you can add this other query parameter to the GitHub API and do it, or but Goodreads API, but it's always different. And it's always just slightly different enough to make it kind of hair pullingly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of like saying you can, you can clean your floor with a toothbrush and yes, you can, but it's a whole lot easier if you've got, uh, you know, the appropriate tool for the job. Um, so, Andrew, you linked the other day on Twitter to a really interesting um, video about the Goodreads API and converting it over to a um, yep. to a GraphQL API. And what I thought was interesting is they actually, in that video, they just fronted the REST API with right. a GraphQL API. And one thing that's kind of interesting is GraphQL kind of acts as a really nice middleware to your Mm -hmm. your, um, your backend API. So internally, like for your internal application, you may use REST for everything. You may have, you know, a messaging queue that's a REST API communicating with, you know, your workers or something like that. And that works great between those two systems. But when you expose it out to the public, you may write a GraphQL API 
that's what actually gets exposed to the public. That's kind of your documented API that, that the end users can use. Um, I think that's an interesting um, niche that GraphQL could solve as well as kind of a public layer on top of REST. And that, that is something that we're actually actively pursuing in a, in a project that I'm working on. It's still in the kind of R&D phase. Um, but they're looking at implementing a whole lot of backend systems and with a REST API that gives access to it. And we're looking at implementing a GraphQL layer on top of that that then talks to it. Because, you know, the, the capabilities that they need for the whole backend system to work are, are pretty big. But what we want to be able to do on the front end uh, in order to get certain types of information out is a lot more lightweight and we don't want all of that cruft. So we really will be using GraphQL as kind of a transitory API, if you will. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking at doing exactly that with it. So it should be kind of interesting. So can I, in order for this to work, I assume there has to be some kind of a GraphQL server sitting somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, you know, just one more point though before we yeah, before we move on because I think it's important. Um, I think you know, the type system and all the stuff about GraphQL is is fantastic, and I kind of fell into the benefits of all of those things. But what initially made me look at GraphQL like in depth is when GitHub updated their API to use use GraphQL, um, because one of the pain points I always have when using the GitHub API is I want to show a user a list of their repositories. Mm -hmm. That's that's relatively easy to do, except for the fact that you first have to get the user details to get the organizations they have, they're part of, to get mm -hmm. the repos that they're part of the organization. You can't just make one query to get all of a user's repos. You have to go through the user to the organizations, to the repos of the organization. And if you want to get details about the organization, then you have to make an individual request for each repo to get you know the star count or something like that. I'm and these are multiple chained queries that any one yeah. of them you have to handle failed states and all sorts of horrible things like that. And you end up with this miserable, and if you're doing it in Node, you end up with this miserable promise chain of like just it's just promise after promise. So <laughs> right, you're looking so at what, your you're looking at your editor, and there's nothing but promises. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Oh, God. <laughs> and and so I was like, oh man, GraphQL solves this, and like this is fantastic. I can make one request, and I can say I want user me, and then in, in curly braces, I also want to get repos, and inside repos, I want to get organizations, or like you can kind of nest those things in one. So. To go back to your, your your dinner party question, I think kind of the easiest benefit to see, I think, from uh, outside looking in or just from a, like, a cursory glance is you can take five requests and make it one request with GraphQL. Mm. I think that's a that's a really big um, selling point of, of GraphQL as a kind of over the wire mechanism. Yeah. At the end, you know, internal to GitHub, they're still making the same requests. They're still making the same queries. They're hitting the same databases. Everything's the same, but you only have to make one request as a consumer. Yeah, which is really, really nice on the front end. And then I think the other kind of big selling point of it is what we've already discussed is that you're going to get back only the stuff that you asked for, which yeah. and I think, you know, you, you mentioned SQL like earlier. Um, and I think that's actually a decent analogy, right? Because if I'm running, you know, some MariaDB database on my server, I could hit the hard drive and open the file that represents each record and see the raw data for the record in its entirety. And I've, I think most of the time, like that's what REST feels like to me. It's like, pull me the current state of some resource. But obviously, working with my database that way would be beyond asinine, right? And that's why we have the query language, so that I can do these like filters right. and joins, and so that I can, um, you know, 
in an abstract sense, rely on the system to take care of some optimizations for me. And in terms of dev experience, I can, you know, alias names and, and pull related things and, and, you know, query my data beyond just, you know, you know, looking at its, its state. So I think the SQL analogy is actually kind of, kind of helpful. Well, it's SQL in an unholy union with JSON. Right, we can't leave out the unholy union part. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe it's holy. Maybe it's holy. It could be holy. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it could yeah. be. It, it could be fantastic. Well, well, I guess my point. My point is, we're we sort of skipped all the things that it can do, and and I want to make sure that we like hawk what it is. Right. Which is, it's a query language, and just like. You know any other system that has a query language the point of it is so that you can be intelligent about the way that you talk to your data rather than just working with it you know resource by resource in a raw entire format right or doing multiple chained requests like mark was talking about yeah before. exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah. right like who like who would do that who would write the like sql query to find the users and then write another sql query to find their passwords or, or whatever like you know like you want that query language so that you can pick what you get back and join it to, to other resources right right let me say up front what i want and then give give me back just what i asked for right i mean that's kind of what it's doing so let's talk about just real quick the origins of um graphql so this came from facebook right yeah it came from facebook came out of the react well I guess it kind of came out of the React kind of Facebook movement. The everything's on the front end JavaScript side of things, um, and it, it came out as a spec. So I could be misremembering the history here, and I, I hate to get that wrong, but I'm pretty sure it came out as a spec first, um, and it came out with a, a Node.js implementation, like an example implementation mm -hmm. in Node.js when the spec came out. Um, and it didn't come out as like, and I think a lot of people when it came out, they were like, "Oh, this is a new MySQL," or "This is a new like." Um, uh, like Node.js, like database. Like it, the, the assumption was, oh, this is a brand new database system. I'm going to install it and I'm going to run this and I'm going to put data into it and get data out of it. Right. Um, and it kind of, as as it was gaining popularity and people were realizing what it truly is, it, it's not that. It's a, it's a layer that sits on top of REST or it's a layer that sits on top of things. And the spec is very clear that it's not a database. It's not a persistent storage. Right. Something else implements the persistent storage, whether that's Node.js or in Craft's case, in CraftQL's case, it's Craft, but something else implements the persistent storage. And all, and, and um, you know, Michael brought it up, all it is is it's a query language for your API. So um, the spec is really, the spec is really clear that it's not that, it's not anything else than that query language, than that kind of transport mechanism. But that's what um, makes yeah, it awesome. Came out of Facebook. That's what makes it awesome, though, right? Because then you know you you've got your um, GraphQL API. You can, in theory, swap out the back end to be whatever the hell you want it to be, right? It could be yeah. MySQL, it could be MongoDB, it could be you know whatever you want it to be, and you already have this kind of defined interface, and it gives you a mm -hmm. lot of flexibility because then. You know, if on the on the back end you realize that you should be using a different kind of technology, you can swap it out. All you have to make sure is that it responds to that GraphQL API, and the mm -hmm. front end stuff is still going to work, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that that's a, a really kind of powerful piece of it. But it's interesting to me to think about 
um, where it came out of. So we got some pretty, I mean, <laughs> we're not going to go into it, but we got some horrible things about Facebook in the news currently. But let, let's talk about some of the good, oh, the good stuff about Facebook, which is that, you know, React came out of it. Um, and also now uh, GraphQL came out of it. But think about why both of those things came out from Facebook and look at the, uh, the problems that they're trying to solve on their web pages where they've just got tons of information and people and events and they're trying to interconnect all of them. And that's probably where GraphQL came from is they wanted a lightweight way to query all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and, and, uh, tri trivia, Mark, was Falcor before GraphQL? Before, or? yeah. Okay, okay. So actually we should throw some love at Netflix because Netflix sort of started the... Um, the uh, the we need a better way to fetch data from our API push, mm -hmm. and that was Falcor, right? Because they realized that they were implementing this query language into their REST API once per client per resource type, and that was stupid. And so they, you know, wanted some really consistent spec for accessing their data in a smart way across all of their clients, and that became Falcor. And then I think. GraphQL was kind of the spiritual successor to that, which added stuff like um, uh, like attribute queries and, and yeah. I don't remember exactly the the history, but I I, I want to say I heard it from Netflix first. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I I think I remember it. I think I remember being excited about Falcor and then GraphQL kind of taking all of that away from them. And it probably was concurrently. Like they're probably both working on the same problem at the same time. Right. Yeah. I right, definitely because, because Falcor was fetch only and it had no notion of schema. Right. And then GraphQL was like, okay, that's cool. We'll add a little bit of learning curve and get all this schema knowledge out of it. Um, and um, yeah, so, so probably around the same time. But both huge data sets with really broad, complicated schemas right. and a need to get the data out in a really standardized way across lots and lots and lots of different clients and not have to re-implement it and, and re-document it. And, and the reason why time. GraphQL won um, is Facebook profiled everybody and presented them information on GraphQL, right? Uh, yeah, they, as, as, as I recall, they, they worked with uh, the Russians on that. Uh. <laughs> All right, but so let, let's be serious and get back to what we're talking about here. So in order for this to work, just like in order for a traditional CMS to work, um, there has to be a, uh, a database running on a server somewhere. In order for GraphQL or REST, for that matter, to work, there has to be a server somewhere that is providing this information, right? Yeah. Um, so you have, like, if we go back to the Goodreads example from a, from a while back, um, whether it's a REST API or just actual code, like you're implementing the code directly, um, you know, there's, there's some persistent storage that stores the authors, that stores the books, that stores the, you know, the descriptions about the books. And then the web service that you're interacting, when you make the request to a web server, the web server is serving uh, GraphQL. And it's that web server's responsibility to go to the persistent storage and do whatever it needs to do to, to get the database, to get that information back to you. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think um, you still need that data somewhere. Um, and GraphQL sits between you and that data, giving you a documented query language to get at it. Right. And the, the cool thing is, like we said before, um, let, let's say we're using a Craft CMS, 
right? That's we're using Craft three, and we're installing your awesome uh, GraphQL uh, GraphQL plugin, and we'll we'll talk about that more in depth later. But we we are then essentially turning our um, Craft website into a GraphQL server, right? Mm -hmm. And then on the front end, via JavaScript, presumably, or you know, potentially uh, via PHP on the back end, you know, whatever, we are then talking to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And we're saying, give me this, give me that, you know, whatever. The cool mm -hmm. thing about that is, let's say that uh, we're doing uh, software as a service and it takes off and we decide that we really want to make a, an iOS app, right? Well, then our iOS app can still talk to our craft server, get all the same data that the website is getting and, and pull that all in because we've got a, a neutral API mm -hmm. where all this stuff is. And then at some point down the road, you know, we're, we're mentioned on some big talk show and, you know, we, we just explode and we're ready to, to do our IPO. We can then take the, um, the GraphQL API that was running on craft and we can run it on a dedicated cluster. Right. And our front end mm -hmm. is never going to be the wiser. Right. And that's kind mm -hmm. of the, the, the power of this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, so like always, I think you could do all that with REST too, but I, I do think that there's there's definitely benefits to doing it in GraphQL because it it it's meant to be that layer. Most of the time, when you're writing REST, you write it as this is uh, it was I think it was like Michael said, you know, this is my database and REST is how I interact with my database. But uh, GraphQL is intentionally meant to be a, a middleware or some something between you and the data, so you're not writing it with the same. In my opinion, you're not writing it with the same kind of preconceived notions as you would REST. So I, I think that's a, a really good example of how GraphQL could benefit you there, um, that you could swap out whatever's underneath or behind GraphQL, because it's not usually as tied tied as closely to your persistent store. Right. Yeah. I, th I think it shifts the implementation a little bit, right? Like yeah. if I have some data source, maybe it's Craft CMS, and I want to write an API, you know, if I'm just using vanilla REST, then the thing that I end up implementing is the endpoints, you know, the controller endpoints that REST uh, requests talk to. Um, and so I'm writing all of this logic that sort of translates some request from the outside world into logic that is specific to my domain. So the thing that I'm implementing is REST endpoints. Whereas with GraphQL, the thing that I'm implementing isn't specific endpoints so much as it is um, what you would call the, the, the GraphQL server, which is sort of drawing the bridge between the schema of my domain and the graph query language so that I can write GraphQL queries against my data um, in a generalized way. Um, and so you're, you still have, you're still implementing some logic to bridge, you know, some requests from the outside world to my domain schema. But when you're doing it with GraphQL, you're doing it in a much more generalized way, you know, rather than just writing each specific endpoint for each specific verb, you're just teaching GraphQL what my data looks like and how to, you know, query it so that it can serve as that generalized, standardized middleman. Yeah. Now, as I'm listening to us talk, I'm kind of having an out-of-body experience and I'm taking myself out of the kind of uh, nerd fest that we're having here and thinking about someone who's listening and saying, well, you know, I, I primarily make um, websites using Craft or other CMSs. 
I'm probably not going to be implementing my own API. Like, why why should I care about this? And I'll I'll answer that first, but I'd be curious to hear um, if anyone else had uh, any input on this. I think a reason why you might be interested in it, even if you're not doing anything where um, your website is necessarily providing data that needs to be consumed by something, is that a there's a lot of momentum behind GraphQL, and I think it's very possible that a lot of the services that you might end up wanting to hook up to might very well be uh, you know transitioning to being a GraphQL API at some point down the road, like you know Algolia for search or any number of other third-party APIs that uh, that you might be using. So, uh, Marion, do you have any? You're hearing us talk about all this stuff. You're looking at us disapprovingly. Do you have any anything you want to add here? I'm not disapproving. Uh, <laughs> I think what we've been, you know, if I were to summarize, not at the dinner party, but in the elevator, that what we've been saying is that GraphQL is, a, is an API, which is to say it's an interface, and it's a sort of friendlier interface, friendlier, more generic interface than REST, which is, you know, it's like this REST interface, that REST interface, the other REST interface, each one very specific for what mm. you're trying to do. Right. So uh, all, the, all the advantages of having a good interface. And I think that, you know, going forward or why you would want to know about this, it's, um, you know, anytime you're designing an interface of your own and anytime you're doing anything that anybody is interacting with, you're designing an interface and, and uh, being more aware of what makes a good interface, having more examples of good interfaces is just going to be a useful thing. Yeah, that's very true. Hey, hey, Jonathan, you've been sitting over there silently looking disapprovingly as well, as I can see. On your your, count, your countenance, sulking in that brick background back there. You got you, what do no, you think the, what do you think about all this craziness? That's just I've just been catching up on my rest actually. I have a four month old, so I'm just kind of <laughs> napping in between the conversation. But no, I mean I think going back to this idea that, you know, if you're saying, well, I just all I do is I build websites, I'm not like exposing an API that somebody's gonna consume or whatever. Right. I mean, more and more more and more we're seeing like use cases for when you actually do need to talk to yourself. Right. You know to have this API, maybe you're getting data from view or maybe you have a type ahead search mm -hmm. like search suggest or something. So you want to get back um, data that you can use to populate search suggestions or whatever. So, I mean, in the past, I guess we would have used like uh, maybe the elements API or something like that. Right. But, um, but then again, you're stuck wading through this massive like object of data where you really only need, you know, the data that you actually want. So I'll admit I haven't played with GraphQL, but it sounds really fascinating. And I think the other the other kind of use case for that that user who's not writing the API themselves is um, you know, for services like Netafly, for services like GitHub Pages where you're right. deploying in a static environment where you're not running the service yourself. Um, you know, I've, we have a I have a project going out soon that actually is a is a craft CMS site and it's on a digital ocean droplet and it's a relatively small um, droplet because we're launching the front end on Netafly. Right. So we're, we're launching a static front end that's communicating with the back end over um, over GraphQL, and it, it works out pretty well in that in that case. 
Um, but it's going to be similar for other services too. You know, you, you have a, a static front end and you just need to pull in sidebar content or you just need to pull in comments or, you know, there's small yeah. things like that you want to pull into a static environment. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's another good place that we'll see move towards GraphQL. And that's, that's a big thing that I do. Like pretty much every website that I do these days is a static cache website, um, in one form or another. And, yeah. uh, some of them. Are, are certainly going to be what you're talking about, where they're just deployed to uh, Netafly and they just communicate with a headless craft um, to get the information that they need to render. And the 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 Jamstack uh, thing, I mean, it's a it's a real thing. You know, uh, it may not be the solution for uh, every website out there, um, but you can do some really really cool stuff with either Vue or React on the front end. And then have that kind of divorced from the content and talking to uh, a craft CMS instance on, on the back end. And that, that, can be, uh, that can be a really powerful thing because, like you said, then you have a server that effectively all it is job is to do is to manage the content. And the front end can be served up as static pages that are dis- on a worldwide distributed CDN and they, they boom, they just load Right. I love yeah. how we were going to graduate from our nerd fest and then ended up talking about React and Vue and static caching and Jam. Well, um, I'm bringing but, but it full circle, okay? I think, yeah, no, I think the, the theme that, that everybody's getting at is um, you don't necessarily have to be writing or running your own GraphQL server in order to be interested in right. GraphQL. Like, you're going to be consuming if, it. If this is the direction that things yeah. are going, then your Instagram feed and your, you know, whatever little widget that you want to put on your little website, um, you know, you, you may be consuming somebody else's GraphQL right. service. So, you know, if it's craft, someone like Mark has already done the work of writing the GraphQL server for, for craft. And all you have to do is consume it or Netflix or GitHub or Instagram or whatever. Right. And so you are interested in GraphQL, not because you want to write a server of your own, but because you appreciate the ease and benefits uh, and performance that will come from just using other people's services. Yeah, and the, the thing I really like about the direction that the web is going is that instead of everyone's little uh, custom homebrew JavaScript that manages pages, we're actually getting um, some kind of uh, de facto standards in Vue and React or whatever, where... If someone is approaching a project, they if they understand Vue or React, they can know how all this stuff works. And in a similar way, um, with GraphQL, instead of someone's kind of homebrew way of talking to one service or another, there's a standard way that this stuff is kind of defined and communicated. And that knowledge is something that will carry you from one project to another. Um, but let, let's transition to talking about uh, the kind of craft side of things, because... Uh, well, this podcast isn't exclusively about craft. I mean, we, we all use it in one uh, capacity or another. If I am writing something in craft CMS today and I want to kind of expose that functionality to the world, I have two options without any kind of third-party stuff added. Uh, one is I write a custom plugin or controller and I have controller actions that can then be pinged and can return data and can do stuff. Um, the other option is we can use the first party plugin for craft, which is the element API. 
um, where it's you know this kind of custom thing where we can define um, various endpoints and then return data from them. Um, but they're really, you know, other than those two solutions, I mean, that's really the only way to use craft headless out of the box, right? So, my, oh, Michael, you're making a strange face. Is it because you don't have your computer science credentials with you? Are I do there? have my computer science credentials. What are they, what are they today? Uh, actually, today it's just uh, uh, Pachode's Bitters in Topo Chico. My God, you're fancy. I was just going to say you're downing vodka, but I guess not. No man, it's it's bitters and topo. We're taking taking it easy today because because uh, I got to go work out right after this. Right. Um, no, I mean there's lots of different ways to run craft headless, right? You can run you know write your own uh, JSON in a template. You can write your own JSON from a controller method that you right. you know write in a plugin. You can do stuff with RSS feeds. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways to, to run craft headless. Well, I'm talking about I, like an API ish thing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, I mean, it, exactly. Like yeah. I've written my own API. I've written my own. You like, wrote an YAML API, API as an RSS feed. What Absolutely. Is, what is wrong with you? I mean, I've run it, it out of templates before. It's I mean, it depends. Yeah. Like, like when we do, um, like Alexa skills and Google assistant skills, um, that's all, uh, it's feeds, it's right. feeds and XML. And, you know, there's probably some like little, um, like stateless function server, like a Lambda or something that just takes an Alexa request and sends it to my template and my template gives it uh, some really derpy, simple XML. But I think the the difference between all of these things grouped together, you know, your XML in a template, your JSON in a plugin, your element API, is that you are defining each endpoint specifically right. per per data, per client, and and you know, the you know the greener grass on the other side of the uh, the sunrise is. I just drop in Mark's plugin, and all of a sudden, I can just write these standardized queries against my data. Um, and yeah, I could implement that myself lots of different ways, but it's nice wow. to have this really generalized standard, and I don't have to. Yeah, why would you want to? <laughs> That'd be a lot of work. I mean, I think Mark can uh, can attest to the amount of work that that involves. And yeah, I mean, uh, I, I never really thought of XML feeds as an API, but I I guess they could be. Um, I definitely have done the um, you know in a template thing, and I think that makes sense because you've got if you're already using Twig to render stuff, you can return JSON and you know kind of do whatever you want to do with it. But, Anyone who has ever tried to return JSON from Twig is like having a visceral, cringy reaction right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. There's lots of stuff you could do, and there's tons. I, I mean, I, I see it every day where, whether it's on Stack Exchange or in uh, Slack, where someone is doing something in Twig that I'm just like, oh, man, <laughs> like, why? <laughs> like, I know you can, but... But it's, should it's you? That, it's but that should you really when you watch the YouTube of the guy who's trying to go to space in a steam rocket to prove that the Earth is flat? Right. Like that's how I feel. Like yeah. about yeah. implementing JSON in a template. And granted, that was my past self, right? So I'm digging on my past self as much as uh, you know I would dig on anybody who's doing it now. But you know, God help you if that's but, what you're. But again, as we've to. said many times, if you don't look back at your past self and think, "My God, I'm an idiot," you're not learning enough, right? So, Mark, let's talk about how to do it right from the perspective of we have some kind of data that we want to expose. You know, maybe 
we're using craft headless or if we're not using it headless, there's just some data on the back end that we want to expose. And we're on board. We think that uh, GraphQL sounds awesome. What do we do now? How do we make this happen? How do we so, blast off from that rocket ship on a lawn <laughs> chair into space? So the example I use usually is if you have a list of news or a list of press releases or some list of, of a channel in craft lingo, um, and you want to load more button at the bottom. So they click load, instead of going to page two, you just want to load more. So um, that to me is a good use case for something like a REST endpoint or a GraphQL endpoint, because you're going to use JavaScript, you're going to use jQuery, you're going to use React, you're going to use something to fetch that data and, and pull it back. Um, and I think where where GraphQL can come in here is you can you can make that request to the endpoint and and kind of move on with your day. Where but GraphQL first, but first now, I have to install a plugin. Yeah, so where yeah. GraphQL the plugin comes <laughs> into play here is um, you install GraphQL plugin through the plugin store. Um, it gets installed, you enable it, and what it does out of the box is it just takes your entire craft um, craft schema. And it turns it into a GraphQL or a GraphQL schema. So it just automatically makes an API for everything. It does. And you have to thank the Pixel and Tonic team for that because they used the right kind of naming scheme to kind of make everything work really nicely in that yeah. way because craft is craft is architected well enough that it makes all of this this work. There there um, have been yeah. so many times that I've been in there, you know, coding stuff for craft. And I have just looked up to the sky and praised, <laughs> praised yeah. Brandon's OCD and said, thank yeah. you. Thank you for this. Thank yeah. you for that. Absolutely. And it's like little things like using camel casing works perfectly with GraphQL. And right. like, it's like little stuff like that. But as an example, to use the old example, if you have something called news and the handle for news is N-E-W-S lowercase, mm -hmm. then in GraphQL, you can say, give me all news. And you just type in news, N-E-W-S lowercase, and it gives you back all of your entries in news. Um, and you can say, I want the IDs or the titles or the custom fields. And you can, that's where you can start to use GraphQL and specify what, what everything needs. But yeah, it really is just turn on the plugin and interact with craft through GraphQL instead of, um, now the, the first thing that I think of when I hear this is holy crap, security nightmare. How do I off? <laughs> How do I off and make sure people aren't just, you know, being able to, to dump my data out via, uh, GraphQL. So what my goal was with GraphQL was to re-implement craft.entries as much as I could mm -hmm. through GraphQL. So everything craft.entries, my goal is anything craft.entries can do, GraphQL can do. Mm -hmm. And if craft.entries can't do it, then craftQL can't do it. And if craft.entries has a security flaw, then craftQL has a security flaw. So any any restrictions that craft.entries has, craftQL has in, in that sense. Um, on top of that, though, GraphQL has a token system. So um, the kind of standard way to interact with GraphQL is you send a bearer token, like a OAuth type header token to say, you know, this is who I am and this is who I'm authenticating as. Um, and that token can have permissions with it within right. GraphQL. So you can say, I only want to open up access to the news channel. I don't want to open up access to the top secret projects channel. Just the news channel is the only thing I want to open up access right. to. Right. Like, let's say um, I was publishing a blog and I wanted mm -hmm. people to be able to syndicate it. Yep. I might open up to the world. You can read any of this blog stuff you want, but there are certain other private information that you would then only be able to get to if you had a token with the right permissions, right? 
Exactly. And you can have as many tokens as you want. So one might be your public token that you're using on your website. And then another might be your Google Analytics token that's interacting with a service that's reading it or might be interacting with your whatever else. You can have multiple tokens. Each one would have different. Now, how do I actually keep this token private? If I have JavaScript on the front end that needs to somehow read and send this token, how do I keep this private? So from the JavaScript on the front end, you can't. And there's, I mean, you could you could obfuscate it as much as you want, and you could right. hide it as much as you want. But if it's in JavaScript, at some point, someone's going to be able to get to it. Right. Um, Security through okay. obscurity doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay because if if you make a token that's locked down to only show news and it can't show anything else, then what they're getting through the token is no different than what they would have gotten through an Elements API endpoint, or no different than what they could have done if you left yourself open to like a URL injection type thing. So mm-hmm. as long as your token's appropriately locked down, there's not really much a, a malicious person can do beyond what they could do through a template or through Elements API or something like that. Now, is there a way to uh, to kind of correlate uh, token permissions with uh, actual user permissions that are in craft? Like if I've got a user group called admin and I've got a porthole or not admin, let's call it, you know, like yeah. edi- editors. Um, and I've got a, a portal that they can use that they can log in. Is there a way to kind of have that work automatically and they get the same permissions as they would in Craft on the back end? So not yet. Um, and I didn't architect GraphQL against the Craft user permissions intentionally because they just seem too different. Hmm. So the Craft user permissions have a lot of, you know, all of those little checkbox in the user roles scene. Um, it has a lot of checkboxes for things like, you know, can they edit this? Can they right. um, view this? Can they change? Like, and that's not necessarily the same as what you're looking at within the GraphQL or the GraphQL side of things. Um, so honestly, the GraphQL, GraphQL permissions is probably a little more um, specific than the generic craft and it's it's tailored towards different things so it's resource specific yeah rather than than user specific i think at some point probably i do want to move i, I want to get off of my kind of custom tokens and get back on the kind of craft bandwagon like native stuff but when i was first diving into craft 3 it wasn't it didn't seem like it was the right place for well it. and it's not a big deal also like if you have said portal you know you could have something where it it checks the user group and just returns the token that's appropriate for the permissions you want to give to that user group. So, you know, whatever. Well, and if you if you need true token authentication for your craft site, there is a plugin for that. <laughs> okay. Do you Shameless know plug. Do you know who made it? I, who, I who do know it? who made it. Who made it? I do know who made it. Oh, I, I made it. Oh, very nice. Excellent. Um, plug. But no, when you're when you're doing stuff with like the craft QL tokens, you can sort of deal with that more like a you know, a public key, like a publishable key, um, because you're probably just uh, giving access, using that token to restrict access so that only publishable public resources are available. And if you are giving somebody a more private token, then you are only giving it to them after they have authenticated with you some other way. Uh, in which case, you know, as long as your transport is secure, like you're, you're HTTPSing everything and, and you can't have a middleman snooping, then that token is pretty secure as well. I mean, that's true of any JavaScript system that needs to authenticate you with a token. Right. Now, we, we've talked a lot about using 
uh, GraphQL, um, and in the context of Craft, uh, your GraphQL plugin to get data. But is uh, is changing data, is deleting stuff, is updating stuff? Is that something that GraphQL can do too, Mark? Yeah, so GraphQL, we've been talking about, yeah, as a query language, but there's definitely a, a what, Gra what GraphQL calls a mutation um, field or a mutation um, action. Uh, and you can use that to change data. Um, and in theory, in like the, the spec version, the mutation can be used to do any sort of update, whether it's update, delete, edit, all of that would be called a mutation. Mm -hmm. um, query can only return can only return data in there. Um, so yes, you can use mutations. Um, and mutations work through the same sort of element API that you would use if you were writing a, a plugin in Craft and you were inserting data into Craft, Craft manually. So you can actually call upsert stories or absurd entries sorry you can call absurd entries and you can say this is my title this is my matrix block and you can say the first block is this the second block is this the third block is this um, and that will save into craft just as if you had opened up craft and typed it all out um, but the really neat thing about craft and, and graphql mutations is that a mutation is just a query that has a side effect hmm. so when i run a mutation called you know absurd entries you can't run a query that's just called query. You have to say query, and then you have to say what you want to get back. I want to get back an ID, a title, and the body field. Right. When you run a GraphQL mutation, you say, you know, I want to insert this entry, and I want to set the title and the body to this. You also have to say, I want to get back the ID and the title, or the ID and the body. or the, You have to say what you want to get back, because mutations are essentially just queries. Um, so it's, what's neat is you can actually say, you know, insert this new entry, and then give me back the ID and related entries to it. Mm. And the related entries can go both ways. You can say anything that's referencing me or anything I'm referencing, but it, it's really just a query um, in the mutation sense of things. So that's it's kind of a fun thing about um, GraphQL. And what I think a fun thing about GraphQL is you can just kind of blindly insert things into Craft real easily. Um, assuming you have the right permissions. <laughs> assuming you have the right permissions, definitely. Jonathan is, is someone who has just dealt with Something like this, right, Jonathan, where he had, uh, you know, we won't go into details, but you had a front end entry form that uh, apparently got hit. Dear God. Yeah. So it looks to be like somebody attempted. It was just a front end entry form, like you said, where somebody could, it's like a submit a question type thing. And so it looks like a fifth grader in their parents' basement tried to do a SQL injection <laughs> attack for the entire month of February. So quite the cleanup operation. Yeah, but but so, Mark, you know, in hearing this, um, someone that, who has done kind of front-end entry forms in Craft where people can submit data even if it's something as simple as a contact form, but a, a lot of people have written much more complicated stuff where um, the user is able to manipulate some stuff on the front-end that ends up with resulting matrix blocks and relations and all kind of stuff on the back-end. Um you might say to yourself, well, you know, why would I go through CraftQL to do this? Because I can already do this by hitting the right uh, controller endpoints. Um, and I, I guess my kind of answer to that would be the same reason you would use it for querying stuff, right? You've got a, a standard way that you can go through and do this. But what would, what would your answer to that be? Like, why would I add this extra layer when I'm trying to save stuff from a front-end entry form? Um. So my answer would be similar to what we were saying before is that you don't have to um, do all of that extra work of, of doing it yourself. So um, 
I, I was doing something recently in craft where I wanted to um, allow users to essentially leave comments. Um, and I, I made my comments as a, as a channel in craft. I wanted to allow them to save it. So I, I wired up a front end entry form and then I realized that I needed to adjust things a little bit um, before they actually got saved in the database. So I wired up my own plugin and, and mm. wrote some custom logic to, it was so silly, but essentially append something to the end of one of the fields that I was, that I was, that I was inserting. Um, and that was a custom plugin that I then had to maintain and support and blah, right. blah, blah. And it was, it was mine. Um, but it's something like GraphQL or CraftQL is you could do all of that in the JavaScript that chances are you're already writing anyway, because you're submitting these forms over Ajax anyway. So you can do that JavaScript in your Ajax form before it even gets submitted to GraphQL or CraftQL. Um, CraftQL can then ingest that and give it back, you know, the data that you need. So, I mean, the biggest reason to me is that it's just one less thing that you have to manage. It's just one less thing that you have to worry. And hopefully you just turn on CraftQL and hit it and you don't have to worry. And then you're done. You don't have to write any custom code. Well, the, the thing that scares me about this, and I would like you to kind of <laughs> answer it is, I'm thinking about poor Jonathan. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about, you know, if he had implemented this using a GraphQL API, some some kid in his parents' basement could just write a JavaScript mm-hmm. that, you know, submitted a whole bunch of crap to the GraphQL endpoint and just spam the hell out of it, right? Or is there, is there any kind of, what kind of validation or is there any kind of interim step? Because, I mean, one of the things we're told from day one is, Never trust front-end validation for anything, right? We need back-end validate. You can do front-end validation, but that's really for the user to try and make it easy for them to enter stuff. But before you put anything in the database, you've got to make sure that it is sanitized and it's been validated before it goes in. So how does um, how does uh, GraphQL and or CraftQL fit into that equation in terms of doing validation before it actually gets inserted in the database? Sure, and I got I got two answers for you on that one, um, and both of them are GraphQL based. Um, GraphQL actually doesn't do anything here because it doesn't have to. GraphQL right. handles all of this for you. Um, the first thing it does is through the type system, hmm. so you don't have to. This is a horrible thing to say, and I'm going to regret it as soon as I say it. But you don't have to <laughs> do it. You don't have to worry about SQL injection with GraphQL. You absolutely do, but you don't have to as much because when you're asking someone to input, you know, a post title you're asking for a post title string. And it's not quote mark, the title quote mark. It's a string. It's mm-hmm. a true string from end to end, and it can't be anything else. Mm. So you don't have to worry about the string ending halfway through and little Bobby tables getting into your database because it's just a pure string. Um, or if you're asking for an entry ID, you don't have to worry about it being anything other than an integer because and it's not CraftQL, it's not Craft, it's GraphQL the spec won't allow anything in other than an integer. Or what other about things structure? like overflows where people try to stuff a field with, you know, enough characters to do a, a buffer overflow and, and that type. can you limit the you, length of things, for instance? You can. Um, I don't know that GraphQL would save you there, but actually craft would probably save you there because at least in terms of GraphQL, what we're doing is we're just using the, um, the standard craft three API to save things. So right. um, you'd probably be protected by craft, but I'd have to look into that more, but I do think that in terms of safety, you're protected by at least some things that REST can't protect you by, just by the type system right. um, of GraphQL for sure. Um, 
the other part though, and this is where GraphQL makes things really hard. Like GraphQL makes a lot of things really easy, but it makes some things really hard. The one thing it makes really hard is caching. Mm. Like it's impossible to cache GraphQL because everything goes through the same endpoint. So everything is slash API. So you can't just blindly throw varnish in front of it and say, job's done. Right. I'm going to support it. Like it's, it's, you have to worry about like, how do I cache this? So that's something that GraphQL doesn't handle yet. Um, I need to work on how do I implement caching smartly so that we're caching things appropriately per token, per user, per request. Like, th that's a hard problem to solve in GraphQL that is relatively answered in REST. Um, and then the same thing for um, validation. There is validation that you can put in place in GraphQL and in GraphQL, but it's not as easy and it's not as kind of documented and done as REST. So I do think that's an area that still needs some amount of thinking. Now, sure. is that some an area where using something like Amazon's API Gateway could save you and you just say, okay, I'm going to implement the uh, the API there and let them deal with the, the caching side of things? I'm not sure. Could you do it? Could you do it per token through the API? Yeah, I guess you could. I've never done it. I'm just asking. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't tried it either. I feel like, yeah, it might it might be able to get you pretty pretty far down that path, but I haven't tried it. Well, uh, in, in terms of in terms of caching, you just have to make sure that your cache is sensitive to what query parameters it like are unique and and which ones aren't, and and make sure that it's like deduping, uh, you know, based on order and stuff and there may or may not be a plugin coming for Craft3 that helps with some of that. Um, but you know, the other thing about uh, GraphQL is that it does uh, let you do rate limiting and node limiting pretty easily. And I have not played with this on the mutation side, um, but but a thing that you can build into your your GraphQL server is um, like rate limits and how many you know how many requests. Uh, a client can do in a given amount of time and how many nodes they can hit in a given amount of time. Mm. And I think there's even some notion, uh, if I remember correctly, of like a cost for different requests. And so, you know, if you are exposing some piece of your system where, you know, not that somebody's going to hack you by exploiting this endpoint, but they could like dirty up your data or something, you know, do something mildly malicious. Yeah, cause Jonathan and, to lose a whole afternoon cleaning right, out the database. Then, then you probably make that a really high cost request. Right. Uh, and, and in doing so, you effectively throttle it so that they can only cause you so much pain in, in you know, so, so much time. I think limiting the pain is where it's at. <clears throat> right. Like if I make if I'm if I make it so that you can only submit one spammy thing, you know, every thirty seconds, then you're gonna you move have, on to something else. Yeah. Right. You're gonna go find the next guy. And Jonathan, hopefully, you, hopefully I just I just make you give up and go pick on somebody else's and, server. And Jonathan, you nailed it because you that's exactly the same motto you have as a parent. Right? You're you're never gonna eliminate pain, but you try and limit it. Right. That's exactly right. Yep. <laughs> it's all about pain mitigation. <laughs> so the exciting thing to me about GraphQL is not just that it's an awesome new piece of technology, because I do think that is awesome. But using it with um, GraphQL, I don't have to learn whatever you know weird custom syntax there is for the Element API. I don't have to learn whatever weird custom controller endpoints I have to hit to save front-end entry forms. 
it sounds like it's going to be easier for me to do this stuff if I have this GraphQL layer. Is that right, Mark? I think it's a hundred percent easier. And I think the thing, so I, GraphQL has been around for a couple months now, probably maybe three months-ish or so. Um, and the issues on the GraphQL um, GitHub repo, one of the things I really like about Craft 3 is the composer support and all the right. GitHub stuff that everyone's been doing. Um, it's really it's really nice to see. Um, but the issues have been pretty active. And I, I, someone sent me an issue a while back, and I, I really enjoyed it because one of the things that GraphQL does is it exposes the GraphQL the GraphIQL, the GraphIQL mm -hmm. um, kind of a, um, IDE into GraphQL in Craft. So when you install GraphQL in the sidebar of Craft, you get a little button that says GraphQL and you click on it and it gives you a split pane and the left is, you know, type in your query and the right is look at your answers or look at the response. It's like CodePen built it, into your should, CMS. <laughs> we should pause uh -oh. just to revere how absolutely stunningly awesome that is. Yeah. Like it's, a, oh, it's for dev and debugging and like this is like godsend level feature right here and it's like so craftql's modeled after craft.entries and craft.entries is fantastic but there's like every single day i find something new in craft.entries that i either either been doing wrong or could have been doing differently and the really cool thing about graphql and what craftql puts into your admin ui is you click it and you get autocomplete for everything so as you're trying to learn your API or as you're trying to learn, maybe you're a new dev who just got brought into the project, maybe you're just trying to visualize what it is you're building as you're building it, but you just start typing you know, uh, entries and then underneath it, you just start typing in the fields that you want to get back and you hit return and you get that response over on the right. So the cool thing that I heard um, in the issues, in the CraftQL issues recently, was someone is actually using this with their clients because the client was looking for a way, how do I find all of the entries that I updated last month because I forgot to do this on them mm -hmm. and I want to update them. So he taught them GraphQL or he taught them GraphQL so that they can just log in, click that button, they compose their query through the query language, which is relatively straightforward. It's still arcane and foreign and, and takes right. some learning, but with autocomplete, it gets a lot easier. So that, that client could then just log in, they type their query and I want to find all my news that was from this date that has this field set to this and they hit return and they see the IDs of all the fields that they want to edit over there on the right. And then they can just, so I, I've heard that a couple people are using this as a client side tool to find data. <laughs> now, it depends is, on the client. It depends yeah. on the client. Yeah. 100% <laughs> depends on the I was about to say, as, as awesome as I think that is, most of my clients, I don't want to let them anywhere near it. <laughs> They're going scared. Sure. But, you Today know, we're going to learn GraphQL. Yeah, but Mark, I, I got to be honest, like that, that godlike halo that I had imagined around you, it just came down a peg or two. I thought you designed <laughs> that whole UI that was in the, the craft backend. You're saying no, that that's a... No, no, that is GraphQL. That is a, a well-documented IDE within the GraphQL community. Oh, my God. I mean, I made the whole thing myself. Yeah, um, that's better. Uh, <laughs> now I'm just I'm just gonna forget that I ever heard that that wasn't you that designed that whole thing. No, because it's it pretty was, spectacular. Actually, Mark actually still has his, Mark still has his halo from when I was able to upload a file in Expression Engine two just by <laughs> choosing uh, a selector. And, oh, so yeah, they, and, and Mark, I, I, this is a, a slight detour, um, but we do have a user submitted question for you. Oh no. <laughs> They want to know. <laughs> they <laughs> they want to know when you're going to update MH file for Expression Engine. Uh, 
<laughs> Slater for E5. All right. <laughs> All right. You heard it here first. An MH file will be updated in EE5. All right. We got got you on record. But yeah, I mean, getting back to what I was saying before, I mean, I've got lots of sites I work on where there are front end entry forms and CraftQL makes it easier for me to make this stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. whatever it is that, um, whatever user generated content that I need to save I don't have to go in and learn, you know, how to ping this controller, how to ping that controller, you know, what user controller I need to hit and what params need to be in there and all that kind of good stuff. I can just use the CraftQL API. And then when I want to get it back, I use the exact same API. I don't have to write my own element API PHP file and, you know, narrowly specify what it's going to be. I just use the exact same API to get it back. I mean, it's just awesome in terms of how much quicker it makes to develop stuff like that you know and, and that gets back to our where we're talking about before okay maybe you're working on a site where it doesn't make sense that you're going to publish your own api to be consumed but maybe this is going to be easier for you because maybe you are saving um you know you're saving contact info data in a contact form or you know some other kind of basic stuff mm-hmm. This lets you learn the standard that is GraphQL while at the same time being able to save all that stuff on the back end, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. This is, where, I think there's, this is where you're I, supposed to chime in and just sell the hell out of your plugin <laughs> and how awesome it is. That was the setup. You hit it out of the park. Go ahead. No, I, I but I, I mean, I completely agree. And I think, I, but I, so the other thing, though, that I think is I think GraphQL is still definitely in, in its infancy. Mm. Um, and I think we're still trying to figure out a lot of things with GraphQL. Um, one of the questions you asked earlier that I think is still really hard to answer is, is how do I use this thing? Mm. Um, I think it, because it's really easy to say, well, you just make this query and you post it to the API endpoint and then it's done. But, you know, there's, th- there's things like Relay, there's things like Apollo, there, there's all of this kind of tooling that's going around GraphQL and um, you know, there's Gatsby JS and there's all of these tools that kind of like integrate with GraphQL that like no one I don't think has figured out kind of everyone has different ideas of what GraphQL is. And right. I, I don't think that we've really figured out as a community or as a as a as a community kind of what this tool is and how we're gonna use it. And eventually everyone will settle into like the niches of how it's used. But um I do think it's early on in GraphQL. So I think it's also early on in CraftQL. And I think one of the things that I'm really excited by about it is that all of the places that we can go with with this. Um, so things like front-end entry forms really haven't gotten a lot of love in CraftQL, but I think mm-hmm. it would be amazing to make them a first-class citizen in CraftQL. Right. Um, right now, we just really can, you can save data, but it's just kind of a crud. It's not like it's, it's just raw saving, but it would be awesome if there was something in there that was specifically tailored towards you know, front-end saving of data. And that's something that some mutations are still kind of, in my opinion, evolving in GraphQL. And I think they're going to evolve in CraftQL as and well. Sure. So it's an exciting time kind of for the module and for yeah. GraphQL. And as well. at, at the end of the day, GraphQL is basically a, a framework, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, in, in, you know, in the way that, that Viewer React or any other library that you use is, right? It's like, we are all doing this same thing over and over and over again, <laughs> re-implementing the same generic functionality on every project, surely there must be a way that we can generalize this and turn it into a standard of some sort. And and that's kind of where we're at. Um, 
you know, GraphQL is kind of like the first um, uh, answer to that problem that has sort of hit mainstream. Um, and I fully expect that there will be, you know, uh, if not through the evolution of GraphQL, like some other similar looking spiritual successor, right, that answers this, this same problem. And I think that uh, we'll see it evolve just like any other framework landscape evolves. And I'm pretty pumped for that. And Mark, just to add to your to-do list, because I know that you've got just copious amounts of free time, um, you also need to write the uh, adapter for Gatsby for Craft CMS so that we can use Craft as a data source to generate static sites from uh, via Gatsby. So that's on your list, right? It is. And is so that before, is... is that before or after MH file? Uh, no, that's after. That's MH file is always first priority. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, All right. Gatsby though is Gatsby is a really tough one. Um, it's like a really interesting problem because the uh, the way Gatsby's written, and I, I I put this in the Gatsby issue log on on GitHub, and I feel a little bad about it. But the way I would describe Gatsby is it takes really bad APIs and turns them into a really nice GraphQL right. layer. Right. So like nobody wants to look at their file system and get contents out of a markdown files and turn those into pages. But Gatsby does that automatically for you because the source data is awful, but Gatsby turns it into really nice GraphQL that is nice. Right. It's really hard to take a really nice GraphQL layer and layer it into Gatsby because you essentially lose all of the GraphQL functionality by yeah. shoving it down into Gatsby's really limited um, system. That's all going to change in the next version of Gatsby, which is really exciting. Um, Gatsby, Gatsby and, and GraphQL as a, as a language are coming up with this idea of uh, composition. So you can take, and, and this is going to, this is going to really blow GraphQL, everyone in GraphQL's minds is you can take like GraphQL service A and GraphQL service B, and you can create GraphQL service C, which is a composition of yeah. mm. compose yeah. and compose them together so that you hit you hit C, but you can still access both A and B. And you run into namespace conflicts and, and all sorts of issues that are better figured out by people smarter than me. But the composition of, of, of GraphQL services, because you have the type system, because you have documentation, because you have this well-formatted system, you can do that. So the new version of Gatsby is going to use composition, which is really exciting because we could be able to use Gatsby to compose GraphQL into it and interact with Gatsby and GraphQL as if they're both first class. Yeah, because so, that's that's what I want, man. I, I the want the next version of Gatsby. One hundred percent, I'm totally on board. Yeah, because then then what we can do is we can use Gatsby to statically generate all of the content Watch from CraftCMS or wherever the hell it is, and then using uh, basically the the kind of the same APIs or, or going through GraphQL anyway we can then light it up dynamically by talking to the same server to get the same stuff. It would be freaking fantastic. Wow. I almost got a, a strike mark for a language there. I was very, I was very close. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so I do have, I've got a completely self-serving question that I want to ask you, Mark. So mm -hmm. I've got this little plugin called SEOmatic, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a version of it for craft three. Is there is there a version of it for Craft Three? There is. There is, it, is. Is it released yet? It's at it's at beta nineteen, and actually, it's very very close that to going to going. That doesn't count. It's very close to going GA. Anyway, <laughs> it's a GA nineteen. Let me put it this way: it's closer than charges. Okay. Boom. Ouch. Boom. Burn. Burn. That was a very legitimate, well landed 
burn. All right. Touche. But in, in any in any event, in any event, since I'm very conscious of you know uh, front end technologies, one of the things that is built and running craft headless and all that stuff. One of the things that I built into it is you can ping a controller endpoint and it will return to you all of the metadata for a, U, uh, a URI, right? So if you're using if you're using Vue on the front end or React on the front end and Craft is headless, using Vue or uh, React or whatever it is you're using on the front end, you can say, hey, Craft, you know, give me all the metadata for this particular thing. And they're all broken down by containers, so the... Uh, the meta tags will be in a separate container from the scripts, we, you know, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So then mm-hmm. you can just insert them in the DOM and go on your merry way, and then everything, everyone's happy. Um, does it make sense? Is there any way that I can interface with uh, CraftQL, if it's installed, to allow people to then kind of query me for that? And does it even make sense to do something like that? Uh, so selfishly, I think it completely makes sense to do that. I All think right. it's a great idea. Um, right. but no, I, so it is possible, absolutely. Um, the nice thing about Craft 3 that I've been getting used to are, uh, the, is the event system in E2. Hmm. Um, so there's, a, there's an event that fires when CraftQL builds its schema, um, hmm. and it's called getFieldSchema. Um, and that event is fired for every field or every kind of piece of, a, of an entry or piece of um, Craft. So you could hook into that event, event and then you would essentially add to the schema however you like. Um, one of the things that I did early on in CraftQL that is paying dividends now and I'm, I'm happy about is I built a like a, a query builder, nah, not a query builder, but a schema builder mm-hmm. layer on top right. of CraftQL. So the you could you could definitely do what you're just what you're describing, and you could do it without even really knowing um, GraphQL. You could say, you know, I'm going to listen to this event inside the event. You're past the schema. And you could say schema.add string field. Um, and then you would say string field arrow lists if it's a list of things or uh, string field um, non-null if it can't be null or something like that. So right. um, the cool thing about GraphQL being typed is it makes that sort of stuff really easy because you kind of know what everything is going to give back. There's no ambiguity in the, in the schema, but it means that the code that you write to implement the schema is also known. So if you're using PHP Storm or something like that, you can just do schema arrow add new string field and it, it'll auto complete it and kind of tell you everything on there. And then on the string field, you can do everything you need. So, um, yeah, you could absolutely do it. Um, CraftQL implements already with things like the redactor field. Um, I forget the name of the markdown field, uh, Doxer, um, mm-hmm. simple map. Like there's a number of, um, um, plugins that people have submitted to the, uh, CraftQL issue queue that I've been able to implement. Um, but this is something I can add. I can add myself without ever bothering you, right? You could add yourself without ever bothering you. If enough people submit it to the CraftQL, um, what I would probably do personally is I'd reach out and say, "Do you want to add this?" And you would say, "No, I don't have time for you." And I would say, "Would you mind if I implemented it myself into the CraftQL schema?" Because so, so you could add it in either place, right? Um, but yeah, you could absolutely add it if you were if you were so inclined. Uh, you're in trouble now because <laughs> now now I'm going to harass you about this because I'm just. I'm thinking about it from the point of view that, okay, if I'm writing this awesome front end in Vue and it's consuming everything from Craft CMS via mm-hmm. GraphQL, courtesy of CraftQL, you know, why am I hitting a controller endpoint to get right. the, the, the meta container stuff? Why can't I just use GraphQL via CraftQL to just grab this stuff for me? And it just kind of makes sense, right? Completely agree. Um, and, you know, if I, so. I'm, I'll, I'll harass you about that offline. I don't want to bore everyone with my own personal issues, but 
it it sounds exciting to me and yeah you know if if i had to to summarize this i i think that um I think, I mean, honestly, I think that Pixel and Tonic should just buy this plugin and give you millions <laughs> and millions of dollars because this is the kind of defined API that Craft really needs. I mean, it, it really is. And and yeah, they can do it via REST, and I, I know that REST is fine, but I, I'm really interested in the way that, uh, that GraphQL works and kind of bolts it on. So I hope that the next time I talk to you, you're on some island somewhere with the the millions that you've been bought out, but yeah. I, I would love hold to on for, hold on for at least a million. At least. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll help you negotiate if it comes up. I'm requiring they buy MH file though if they do it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I don't want that anymore. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just fantastic from the point of view of learning GraphQL now. Because a lot of the APIs you're going to be consuming are very likely going to be coming in via GraphQL. Um, and then also learning it just because when you're working with Craft, it's going to make a whole lot of things a lot easier, especially when we start buying into the Jamstack part of things a little bit more and we want to use Craft headless. But mm -hmm. even if we don't want to do that, even if we just have user-submitted data that we want to be able to, to save easily to the back end... I love the idea of learning a standard to do something rather than learning someone's kind of boutique API to do something, you know? And I, I love the idea that in theory, the way that I'm doing, uh, saving these entries via, uh, GraphQL via craft in theory, some other CMS comes along. I could do the same exact thing as long as there's that kind of layer there to do it. So, I mean, that's what I'm excited about. Marion, what do you look super excited now? You're not looking disdainfully at us now. What are you excited about from all this? I was wondering the same thing that you were sort of asking about all of us plug-in developers and, and uh, what opportunities do we have to hop on board with our plugins? Well, there you go. But, now Marion's going to harass you too, Mark. Yeah, well, I'm... <laughs> I do not have SEOmatic, but I have a couple of tiny little field types and things like that. Do they need to, or can they participate in this? Do they need to participate in this? Can we have a GraphQL perversion? <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to make it do things it shouldn't do, Marion? No, no. no. I veto that idea. I personally like writing my uh, JSON and Twig, but uh, <laughs> Michael, what about you, man? Give us your your summary. We know you're getting to the bottom of your computer science credentials, and you got to get out of here. So t hey, tell no, us your I, summary. I think you know I'm excited for GraphQL, um, not just because of GraphQL, but because like the next six to twelve months of the evolution of like GraphQL as an answer to this problem, I think is going to be really interesting. And I think learning GraphQL is a good move right now um, mm -hmm. because whatever the next step is in our industry, it may not be GraphQL. It, it may very likely be some evolution of GraphQL, but it may be something else, but it will look like GraphQL and right. it will like have that philosophy behind it. And so I think like both as a consumer and as a distributor of content uh, on the web, I think getting into this mindset is um, it's going to lead you good places in terms of of dev skills and um, and solutions that you can offer to your customers? How about you, Jonathan? What do you what are you taking from all this? Anything interesting? Yeah, I mean, just the idea that um, you know, 
it would be an interesting time to to start if you're not on board with this it's it's so easy to play with it now i right. mean install craft install craft ql like this gives you an out of the box solution to start playing with it it's it does like, seem it's like that ui that mark more. developed from scratch that lets you do all yeah. this it's amazing yeah, yeah. Completely from scratch. Mm-hmm. Amazing. All the time you put into doing that for us. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, um, this does seem to be the direction things are taking. So, if if nothing else, it's an easy little sandbox playground for yourself to sort of experiment with it. But hopefully you'll do more useful things with it, too. So, Mark, you're the resident expert here. And obviously, um, I mean, I, I personally think that your CraftQL plugin is fantastic. But why don't you, uh, you know, if you're any kind of thing you want to summarize or, or wrap up uh, the conversation, we're kind of coming to an end here. But if you have any, you know, thoughts or motivations to get people on board to giving this a shot. Um, so I think uh, Jonathan's speech was the best. I think the greatest thing about CraftQL is you just put it on any site that you're already running and just go to town and play with it. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of really fun things that you can kind of explore through the GraphQL system, and the type ahead makes it really easy to just explore. Um, and that's it kind of makes APIs really fun to just look into instead of a chore to look up and document and figure out where everything is. So um, it's a fun thing that you can just install just to play with and see if it works for you. Um, I would also say that the, the GraphQL GitHub issues are pretty active. Um, they're, they're nicely active. There's a lot of people in there. so. Um, Definitely, if you if you're listening or if you're experimenting with it, don't shy away from opening tickets. I love just responding to them, even if it's a won't fix or a you know coming in the next feature. But it's it's fun to just get those to get that feedback. So the issue board's a good place to um to be too. Yeah, and it, just to kind of dovetail off of what you were mentioning, um, the interface that you get after you install CraftQL, it's kind of like having CodePen. Just sitting in your admin CP, where you can just you can just experiment with stuff and play around with it and see the results, and it's really cool, and you're not going to hurt anything, you know. Um, so I think that that is a great way to get started with it. Is just load it in there and and kind of play around with it. And my kind of final thoughts on this are to mention something that uh, that Michael kind of touched on, where I, I think that it's incredibly valuable that you are learning something like. Um, GraphQL, because whatever the next thing is, whatever the next CMS is, like whatever the next technology is, you're learning a neutral API that in one form or another is going to be around and is going to be valuable as opposed to learning, you know, a kind of boutique API. And, you know, we're, we're kind of teasing Mark about his MH file plugin. But just think of all the hours invested in learning, you know, all the parsing order in EE and all of the peculiarities there and how that and, and I'm not picking on EE. This goes with any kind of, you know, uh, custom technology and think about how much better spent it would be if it was something that had a little bit longer legs and was kind of a layer in between things the way that uh, that GraphQL is. So standards are good. Yeah. When, when, the, when the standards are good then standards are good. Yeah. And it, and that goes with anything, you know, whether, and that's another reason why I love Vue or I, or and I, I like it better than React, to be honest with you. But React and Vue are both really, really useful because they are a standard with a huge community around them rather than, you know, Joe Bob's custom JavaScript that happens to do something. Um, and I, I love that 
learning GraphQL is something that is very likely going to be a valuable skill, whether you're using Craft CMS, whether you're doing Jamstack stuff, whether you're consuming APIs. It just seems like a uh, its nature as this kind of layer in between things makes it kind of certain that it's going to be around a lot longer than a lot of other things when, i think when you have when you have good good frameworks and good standards they sort of set the new baseline right, right? it's like i don't have to write my auth controller anymore like my username password controller and have to worry about all the different ways that somebody might break my authentication endpoint or, or, you know, try yeah. to hack me. Or is it camel because, case? Is it snake right? case? Because, is it kebab because case? Because <laughs> those best practices are already built in yeah. to, you know, the authentication endpoint in Laravel or Yi or whatever my framework is. Right. right? So that's just, it's a new baseline for me. And it's a, I, I get to start further down the field because a bunch of that best practice work is already done for me. And so it frees up my bandwidth to like focus on things that are specific to my domain or, things that I can do to, you know, innovate further rather than having to go back and re-implement the same yep. wheel over and over again. And it's the same with, um, with GraphQL. Yeah. And I think so your skills are more pushes us forward and, and not, not just pushes us forward, but your skills are more portable again. You know, right. I, I can do the same thing for craft and I can do it for WordPress even, and you know, a number of other systems that are having GraphQL layers built on them, Laravel, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. And Act CMS. And Act CMS is a big one. That's going to be huge. Um, Anyway, I think this has been an awesome discussion. We went on for a long time. I could go on for a lot longer. And and Mark, I hope we have you on again. And I absolutely am going to be harassing you about the whole SEOmatic thing. But that (laughs) that wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS feed or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. It makes a big difference and it's going to make it more likely that we're going to be around. Okay. Um, You can also follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm. And we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Just leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Marian Elephant. I'm Michael Rogg. I'm Jonathan Melville. And our special guest, Mark Hewitt. Thank you, everyone. Hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you coming on here, and bye-bye. All right. See you later.